Section 32 of Tom Petrie's Reminiscences of Early Queensland, dating from 1837, recorded by his daughter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The finding of the famous Durham boy and the story of his fourteen years' adventures among the Aborigines has already been enlarged upon in many works. He said he was welcomed by the blacks as one of their number returned from the dead. When the white men were first seen by their dusky brethren, they were all supposed to be ghosts or former black men come to life again. All the different tribes had a name for ghost. For instance, with the Torbal or Brisbane blacks, it was Mogwi. With the Morton Island tribe Tagan, Noosa tribe Madar, and with the Wide Bay natives with whom Durambuy lived, the word was Makiran. I have already written of the landing of Durambuy and Wandi in Brisbane, and mentioned the excitement of the early time squatters over the event. These squatters came often to the old house on the Bight, Mr. Andrew Petrie's. That gentleman had a skillion put to his house, and here they slept, and they were always very jolly and full of fun. Mr. John Campbell, writing of these early visits of the squatters to Brisbane, says, quote, There was no hotel in Brisbane then, but we were kindly and eagerly invited by the officers residing there to stop at their houses, in fact, vying with each other who should receive us. For myself, I went to the late Mr. Andrew Petrie's, and a friendship then commenced between us, which only ended with his life. End quote. My father used often to swim across from Petrie's Bight to Kangaroo Point with some of these squatters and two or three blacks. They went for the purpose of fishing there with lines. If they had good luck, they would perhaps stay nearly all day. Often they caught lots of brim and flathead, and the natives would then carry these in dillies fixed to their heads back to the other side. One of the squatters was a Mr. Glover, and the blacks could not say his name, but called him Blubber. One day in swimming homewards, Tom got into a shoal of Blubbers, and they stung him so frightfully that he could not swim. He called for assistance to the natives, and they only just came up in time, for he was sinking. Getting hold of the boy, they put him on the back of one fellow, and swam with him to the shore, thus saving his life. Landing, the native who had carried the burden turned and said to Mr. Glover, My word, Mr. Blubber, your brother, very saucy fellow. Some of these black fellows were very comical in their doings and sayings. There was another one of the name of Billy Bing. Bing meant father. And the squatters used to have great fun with him. He had a very large mouth and would burst out laughing at them, then suddenly shut his mouth like a snuff-box and pull a long face. The squatters would be nearly ill laughing at this man, especially one gentleman who would say, for God's sake, take him out of my sight. This was Mr. Henry Stuart Russell, already referred to. Father remembers him well and says he was a great man to laugh. He evidently had a keen sense of humour and at times became quite powerless with laughter. 
He married a Miss Pinnock, niece of a governor of Jamaica and sister to Mr. P. Pinnock of Brisbane, the late sheriff. Strange that in after years Mr. Andrew Petrie's granddaughter, Tom's firstborn, should marry this same Mr. Russell's nephew, the present Major Pinnock. But to return. One day Mr. Russell said to Billy, Here, Billy, come and have a glass of grog. And when he came, now, Billy, hold the glass so and say, Here's good health, gentlemen. The squatters all stood round, and Billy, who could not say health, took the glass, and this was his toast. Gentlemen, here you go hell. Of course, this caused roars of laughter, and indeed some of the squatters were so overcome that they rolled about on the grass. Always just the mere sight of Billy was enough to cause amusement. Mr. Andrew Petrie had a slaughterhouse put up in those days so that he could have a sheep or bullock killed for meat. A lot of meat was used when the squatters were about. One day my father remembers sitting in the killing house talking to the butcher and as he sat the youngster enjoyed a pipe he had got hold of when suddenly in the doorway appeared his father. Grandfather never smoked himself and he strongly disapproved of the habit in his young son. Many a thrashing Tom got for this same habit but alas it did not cure him. On this occasion he was caught and beaten soundly. His screams brought the butcher's wife, who put in a good word for the boy, who thus made off, still, however, holding firmly to his short pipe. So soon as ever he got into the bush, he struck a light with his tinderbox and had another smoke. In those days there were no matches, and everyone carried flint and steel and tinderbox. Feeling himself ill-used after this beating, Tom made up his mind to run away and go to the Blacks. So next day he started out to Bowen Hills to their camp there, and falling in with some of his black boy playmates, they all occupied themselves with making a new humpy. Before dark, he joined in a good meal of fish and crabs, and then when it was time to turn in, repaired with two or three black boys to the hut they had made. Tom had a suspicion that someone might come after him, so he kept his boots on in case of an emergency. He remembers he had a new hat, and this he stuck up in the roof of the hut so that it wouldn't get broken. Then he got under a possum rug. He'd been there about an hour, when suddenly he heard a great row, barking of dogs and a running about and shouting of the blacks. All at once he felt his leg grabbed, and he was hauled out by his brother. He managed to get his hat, and then just as his father came up, got away and ran off as fast as his legs would carry him all the way home. Going upstairs to his room, he stood there, ready to climb out onto the roof, should his father come up. However, he heard the arrival and the inquiry, if he had come home, and then someone said, he had better be left alone. So the boy ventured to go to bed. He was up betimes in the morning and kept out of his father's way for a couple of days. My grandfather soon got over his anger, though, and always forgave his son. 
the squatters in those days nearly all had government ticket of leave men signed to them for a certain length of time if they had a quarrel with a man there was no taking him to court but off would go their coats and after a round or two master and man would shake hands good friends again they were mostly well born these squatters and they were also gentlemen who enjoyed a piece of fun and mischief their bullock drays used to come down to brisbane with wool and these would be left on the south side because of course there was no bridge or any other way of getting across beside these drays the squatters often left a cask of rum with the head knocked in and a pannikin alongside for anyone who cared to help himself to a drink they would swim their horses across behind the ferry boats the very first race course in brisbane was started by the squatters on the ground now occupied by the present post office etc i have before mentioned the old women's factory this building was empty when the petries arrived in brisbane and there they lived till their own house on the bight was built and afterwards it was used as a jail and courthouse well the course was from the corner of the old wall surrounding this building just where the telegraph office now stands down as far as albert street and it was about here that a three-railed fence and a ditch some feet wide were jumped then the course continued round towards the gardens the same ditch and fence being jumped again lower down then up round by the roman catholic cathedral and back to the corner of the wall the ditch mentioned was cut as a drain to carry the water for the land was swampy into a small creek that ran into the river at the present port office wharf the place all round was fenced in in cultivation paddocks where the prisoners worked my father remembers well one race run on this course four horses started when the foremost reached the first fence he tripped on the top rail no hurdles then of course throwing his rider into the mud in the ditch the young squatter got his nice leggings and all his fine jockeys rig out in a beautiful mess he however picked himself up and catching his horse mounted and was off again although the others had jumped all right and were some distance ahead the next jump was taken successfully and the squatter overtook the three and passed them winning eventually with a length to the good there was great excitement and hurrahing at this the horse's name was hargaway and he was a black animal with white feet Quote, the horses in those days were horses says my father and could stand a three-mile race with ease there were no weeds most of the squatters carried a regular jockey's dress with them and they were splendid riders End quote. when people commenced to settle a little and build a man named greenyard built a house at south brisbane at carilpa pronounced in english carilpa what we now call west end this man obtained a license for a public house and the squatters then started a race course there the next one was at cooper's plains and the next at new farm father remembers all sorts of pranks the young squatters used to play in those days 
when they turned up at the old home on the bite they slept on stretches in the addition to the house and when one of the number was found fast asleep by the others he would be tied down and then quietly carried out into the bush one hundred yards away and there left to the mercy of the mosquitoes a watch would be kept till he called for help then he was taken in again the victim was generally one who did not care to join in the fun he would know however that it was no use getting into a scot and he therefore took it all as a joke while on this subject i may mention an incident which happened later on which changed the destiny of south brisbane a tree which grew near the spot mentioned was used as an anchorage for the steamers that is they were tied to the trunk a scotchman who owned the land one day for some reason or other objected to his tree being made use of any longer and he cut the rope by which a sydney steamer was tied after that another place had to be found and the steamers went down the river to the north side of the stream so spoiling the chance south brisbane had of first place this tree was very large in the trunk but some of the branches were lopped to make room for the balcony of a stone hotel nearby it was not often in those days that a steamer came to morton bay as brisbane was then called so whenever one did come it caused quite a stir and excitement the steamers always anchored at south brisbane just below the present bridge on the arrival of one the squatters would go over to her at night and have some fun mr russell would sometimes borrow a dress and bonnet from tom's mother and dressing up he would then go off arm in arm with another squatter as man and wife across to the steamer when there they would hoist all sorts of things to the masthead in place of the flag and the skipper would laugh too and enjoy the fun generally the boat would be cleared of all grog before she left for sydney again on the fifteenth of may eighteen forty seven the first vessel built in moreton bay was launched she saw the light at petrie's bight where the howard smith wharf is now and was a two-masted vessel with both ends pointed no square stern the launching ceremony caused quite an excitement and amongst those who witnessed it were the military and a party of ladies to miss petrie andrew petrie's only daughter a tall dark handsome girl of some fourteen summers fell the honour of christening the vessel and it is not surprising to know that her brother tom two years older who was in everything was one of those on board at the time miss petrie stood on the shore with a bottle of champagne in her hand attached to the bow of the boat by a string and as the vessel slid into the water she threw the bottle from her christening the craft selina in the meantime however the sailors thinking how lovely a drink of champagne would be afterwards on the quiet had contrived a trick and the bottle did not break but this was noticed and a crowd gathering round miss petrie got her to go out in a boat and finish her work the selina slid into the water with such an impetus that she would have gone right across to kangaroo point had the anchor not been dropped to stop her after she was rigged and finished up she started out for the pine river and having got a cargo there of cedar logs left for sydney her builder a mr cameron being in charge
but the little vessel was doomed in spite of the brightness of her birth and the crew were never heard of again for a long time the whole thing remained a mystery then on the twentieth of october eighteen forty eight she was found on the beach at keppel bay waterlogged and with her mast cut out the cargo was quite undisturbed and it was thought that as the crew only had enough provisions to take them to sydney they had set out and perished at sea through starvation or otherwise poor mr cameron my father says was a very nice man and as far as i can remember he had with him another shipwright and two sailors the following is a yarn my father remembers the squatters telling one another whether it was founded on fact or not he cannot say a man was once driving a bullock team either to or from brisbane laden heavily with wool or provisions the roads of course were rough in those days and coming to a creek the bullocks would not pull hard enough to get over it so the man began to swear at them using all the swears he knew while he was in the midst of this a parson rode up and said he to the bullock driver my good man you should not use those words it is very wrong and bad words won't make the bullocks pull any better the driver threw down his whip you try and see if you can drive them sir he said so the parson dismounted and the bullock driver held his horse then began a series of pattings and coaxings and the bullocks doubtless were flattered at the pretty names they were called they however swerved to this side and that but they would not pull the parson tried a long time and only at last when his patience must surely have given out damn the bullocks he said and flinging aside the whip he had gently stroked them with mounted and rode off and afterwards this particular bullock driver felt he had absolute freedom to swear as he liked one night the squatters got hold of a billy goat and tying him to the bell rope of the church of england in william street planted to see the fun billy commenced to ring the bell furiously then the police came along to see what was what and nearly all the inhabitants of the place they weren't so many came running from all directions as the goat moved about to try and get free the bell would ring and the police were very active in running round the building to try and catch the party who rang it it was dark and the squatters had used a good long rope so the goat was some distance off at last however a policeman tripped over the rope and fell he got hold of it then and holding on poor billy came to him as may be imagined he was disgusted when he saw how he had been taken in and there were the squatters bursting with laughter but jeering with the crowd just as though they knew no more than anyone else the police asked if anyone could tell them who had tied the goat to the bell rope but no one knew of course during the first election ever held in brisbane the squatters had a cask of ale rolled out onto the side of george street opposite gray's boot shop and they had the head knocked in and a pint pot ready for the people to help themselves there was a good crowd and a piper playing his pipes for amusement 
and everyone was jolly, helping themselves to the beer. Suddenly a squatter, going behind the piper, stuck a penknife in his pipes. Of course there was a sudden collapse, and a great to-do to know who had done the deed, the poor old piper threatening instant death. There was no more playing of the pipes that day. Later, when the people were all helping themselves to a pot of beer from the cask, a very little man named Shepherd, a tailor, not content with a pot full, brought along a bucket in order to carry it away full. As he was reaching in to fill this, Mr. Russell caught him by the legs and tilted him head first into the cask. When rescued, he was wringing wet with beer. In fact, was nearly drowned and he went away with the empty bucket amid great cheering. When people commenced to open little shops in Brisbane and put up signboards, the young squatters used to go at night and change these boards from one shop to another. This had a comical effect in the daytime and caused many a laugh. Often things like that were done, but my father says he does not remember the squatters ever doing anything really wrong or unmanly. Indeed, he maintains at bottom they were very kind-hearted, and he wishes there were more of their stamp nowadays. People on the whole, he thinks, were kinder and more honest then than they are now. Everybody knew every soul in the small place, and a workman would leave his tools down alongside his work and come back to find them all right. Talking of squatters, there is a story told of one which may not be out of place here, though the writer does not guarantee it had its origin in those very early times, but understands it related to later days. The story runs so. In his travels once, a squatter came at night to an inn which was full to overflowing and could not therefore obtain a bed. Finding he knew one of the gentlemen who had a room there, and who had not yet turned up, he tipped the housemaid to lend him a lady's dress and shoes and other articles of wearing apparel. She wanted to know why he wished for these, but paying her handsomely for the loan, he soon satisfied her that it was all right. Taking them to his friend's room, he placed the articles about in prominent positions, then went to bed. His friend, coming in late, made for the room, and opening the door, heard a shrill, squeaking voice, which exclaimed in horror, Man in the room! Man in the room! Of course, the retreat was hurried and precipitous, and the lady's laughter was smothered, as she thought with delight of the joy of a well-earned bed. Next morning, the landlord got a fierce dressing down from a gentleman who wished to know how he dared put a lady in the room he had paid for. The landlord was profuse in his apologies, but declared he had done no such thing. Then afterwards the story came out. I was extremely sorry to read of the death of Sir Arthur Hodgson, father said, when the news was cabled to Brisbane. Quote, he was one of the good old sort. I knew him well. When he first came to Morton Bay, he came along to our home on the Bight with the other squatters. Many a time when a little chap, I had a ride on his horse on the race course. He used to give me his horse to hold for him, 
and I would then get on the animal and ride him about till wanted. Sir Arthur was a real good-hearted gentleman, one of the right sort, full of fun. One doesn't meet too many of his kind in these days. End quote. Another of these early time squatters, or men of the good old sort, was the late Sir Joshua Peter Bell, one of Queensland's best-known men. He arrived in 1846 and was a big, fine-looking man. He was a great friend of the blacks, his nature being such that they always placed the greatest confidence in him. His name and that of Jimbo are strongly linked, and I am indebted to his son, the Honourable J.T. Bell, our Minister for Lands, for the illustration of Warraba, taken at that station. This black, as a small boy, came to Jimba with the first or second party of Europeans under the late Mr. Henry Dennis about 1843. He came from the Namoy in New South Wales and was an exceptionally fine specimen of an Aboriginal. In manner, dignity of bearing and intelligence, he resembled a superior type of white man. He died in 1891. Another well-known black on the northern end of the Darling Downs was Combo, who came over from the Big River in New South Wales some time before 1850 with the late Mr. O'Grady Halley of Tarbinger and the Burnet. The party travelled up from New South Wales via Logan and Nanango. Combo soon afterwards went to work on Jimbor and remained there until his death in 1903. His gin was a keen, shrewd woman, Mary Ann by name, and of their children, too, became well-known athletes. The eldest, George, a short, thick black, was the crack runner on the Darling Downs, somewhere about 1875 or 1876, and defeated all the local white runners at Ipswich. The other son, Sambo, better known as Charlie Samuels, a long, lean boy, after vanquishing all comers at Dolby and on Darling Downs, was taken to Sydney by a Jimbor stockman, and there swept the board. This was at a time when pedestrianism and professional running was at its height. Sambo, or Samuels, defeated the English champion, Harry Hutchins, twice, and thus earned the title of champion of the world. On the third occasion, Hutchins defeated Sambo, but the latter does not hesitate to say that he allowed the white man to win, saying, The poor fellow hadn't enough money. End of part two, chapter eight.